Blog Talk Radio.
yourself and your family uh, for the situation that might uh, unfold, might develop in that type uh, after that type of an event. First, I want to tell folks uh, again, remind folks that we have the uh, the end of the world as we know it, uh, zombie destruction biathlon, uh, two weekends ago, and uh, it was a smashing success. We had a lot of uh, great folks that showed up. <clears throat> we consider them family, and uh, we had a really nice, safe event. And I want to let folks know that we have the uh, October registration page up and ready to go. So don't wait because uh, it sold out pretty quick at this last event and may well do so again. So get your tickets, uh, get your slot reserved. The the next event is going to be, uh, it, it just matures. With every event, it matures a little bit, and uh, and this next event in October is certainly going to uh, be a little bit more mature. We'll have more obstacles, uh, and the uh, obstacles will probably be uh, a little bit more uh, a little bit more uh, matured themselves. <laughs> Better word. They'll uh, instead of being just. Uh, uh, rough blunt obstacles. They might be a little uh, a little more complex than that. <clears throat> and the shooting stations uh, are maturing as well. They're going to become a little bit more uh, complex, a little bit more practical. Because that's that's something we want to do is to serve your pra- the practical needs of the shooters. And by that I mean I want we want you to be be confronting situations that you may very well confront in the real world. Things like having to shoot uh, uh, weak side, uh, offhand, things like that, and uh, and in uh, uncomfortable and uh, inconvenient positions. So expect uh, expect more of that, and uh, we'll have a we'll have a great run. We're still looking for sponsors, and. Uh, Listen, we have uh, we have a total of like 160 runners and shooters that are going through this thing, and uh, most of them seem to have uh, a lot of disposable income. So, if you'd like to sponsor this event, or if you'd like to be a vendor at this event, uh, be sure and contact me at uh, www battleroadusa.com and you'll see a uh, a tab at the top that says uh, uh, contact and you can send me a uh, a message through the website or if you want to give me a call you can just call me direct my telephone number is 254-217-6353 I don't mind giving it out of the air because I put my phone number up on billboards all across America a while back, and uh, it was very interesting, but uh, it wasn't nearly the the nightmare I thought it was going to be. I mean, most of the folks were were very calm, very nice. There was only a few people that uh, this was while I was working with the Appleseed Project. Only a few people called up to uh, harass me and uh, and scream obscenities. But like I said, they were they were few and far between. 
that's after having my phone number up on uh, billboards that uh, that generated uh, approximately 25 million views. So I got a lot of calls, but uh, they were all from uh, normally all from decent folks. So if you have any questions about the upcoming event, uh, go to the website at com and uh, take a look, too, at the other events we have. We don't just do the, the zombie biathlon. Uh, we do that as, like, a relief or as a, you know, as fun, uh, as a fun event during the year, too, because we've, we've made a lot of friends and, and, uh, and we like to see them a couple of times a year. You can also go to the website and email me and, uh, and what we'll do is we will uh, we'll work with you. You can work with us as a, uh, a rain safety officer, and uh, and we will comp your run, and uh, you will come and run with us on Friday. That's when the staff and the ROs run, and then you'll work a station all day on Saturday, and uh, that will be uh, your trade out for getting uh, uh, for running free. And uh, we certainly appreciate the ROs. Well, we couldn't we we couldn't do the event without them because we usually run about uh, 35 to 45 uh, uh, volunteers to help with the event, and that helps us push through the 110 uh, runners in the course of the day on Saturday. <clears throat> so, if you'd like to do that, be sure to give me a call uh, 254-217-6353. Uh, don't give me a call now because I'm I'm. I'm on the air on that phone talking to the uh, talking to the servers in New York. But after the show, you can give me a call, or anytime during the week, you can give me a call, and uh, we'll get you set up to uh, to help us out. All right. <clears throat> like I said, we don't do, we don't just do the uh, zombie biathlon. We have uh, regular courses scheduled all throughout the year, and. Uh, I'm gonna look at the uh I'm gonna look at the website real quick so that I make sure I'm giving the right date. Uh, uh just a few of our upcoming classes. I'll make sure too that I've changed uh, some of the some of the courses that I put on here. We've got uh the April twenty fifth and twenty sixth Ghost of Goliath Fundamental class is a private class. Uh, the May 9th, 2015 Battle Road Fighting Shotgun course. Listen, this is a great course. Uh, it's a one-day course, and uh, uh, all of the folks, uh, all of the folks that I know, almost all of them, have some type of a shotgun that they run, uh, as part of their home defense program. And you really can't get a better uh, firearm than a shotgun for home defense. Whether you're uh, a better in general firearm, whether you're out in the middle of nowhere, or if you're in the in the city in an apartment, a uh, shotgun is uh, a very versatile firearm for you to. Uh, to use in defense of your home. But most of the folks, well, they own it, 
They may have gone out and shot it a few times to familiarize with it, or they may uh, have a shotgun that they use to bird hunt or something like that. But most of the folks have never taken the time to actually learn how to use their shotgun uh, as it should be used in a self-defense situation. All right, and that's what we're going to cover. It's a one-day course. And uh, we're going to uh, give you the skills and techniques so that you can run the shotgun uh, out to the limits of its ability. We're going to tell you the things that it that it can do, and we're also going to tell you some things it can't do. Uh, we're going to uh, teach you uh, how to shoot uh, rapidly. We're going to get you to uh, sight in with slugs in case you may need to make a shot at uh, distance. We want you to know how your firearm uh, how your shotgun is going to uh, group at distance with slugs. Uh, and we're also going to go through weapon retention. And uh, what I mean by that is uh, if you're moving through your home and uh, all of a sudden uh, somebody grasps the barrel of the shotgun and you guys are in a, uh, a tussle over it, we're going to give you instruction in how to uh, meet uh, that situation head on and uh, and how to deal with that. <clears throat> we'll also cover things like gun combat reloading and stuff like that. Thing how how to make sure that you're to, to keep your shotgun running uh, during a, a gun fight and how to uh, how to do reloads to change out specific types of shells uh, so that uh, if you need switch from a plug to buckshot to birdshot, whatever, in the middle of whatever you're doing, that uh, we want you to be able to do that too and uh, learn how to do that without any hitches. All right? That's May 9th. Uh, you can go to the website and uh, uh, for more information, battleroadusa.com, and then click on uh, uh, the uh Look and see what it is. Go on the uh, tab that says training, and then go to fighting shotgun from there. Uh, that's May 9th. On uh, May 30th, we're having a, uh, a public uh, class for the Ghost of Goliad Fundamentals of Rifle. And if you if you've heard me talk about this before, about what the course is about, uh, then you know that. The Fundamentals of Rifle course is just that. It's not a baby course. It's not a basic course. It's a Fundamentals. There's a big difference between the two. Uh, the basics are baby courses where they teach you this is the barrel, this is the trigger, this one goes against your shoulder, this one points away from you, don't mix them up. Uh, there is a, a big difference in the two because the, the Fundamentals you're going to need every time you make a shot. Uh, that's going to be the foundation that you rest on in order to make every single shot. And we want you to have uh, a rock-solid foundation in the fundamentals, uh, and that includes uh, sling use, uh, the different positions, how to get into them, why to get into certain positions, uh, how to execute the shot using a specific series uh, uh, because you need to 
in order to be a proficient shooter, you need to be a consistent shooter. That means you're going to you're going to make the shot the same way every time. Uh, I don't mean from the same position or or anything like that. I mean you're going to execute the shot in the same fashion every time. That gives you the consistency, which allows you to maintain a proficiency. Uh, and <clears throat> we're going to teach you how to execute execute the shot correctly. We're going to teach you how to zero the rifle correctly. We'll teach you what all the uh, – uh, we're going to teach you a tiny bit of math. Don't get freaked out. We'll teach you a tiny bit of math so that you'll understand what it means when you zero your rifle and uh, and what all of the buttons and knobs uh, and dials and everything else on your, uh, your iron sights or your scope, what they're for, what they do. We'll get you to start manipulating them so that you understand how to use them. Uh, a lot of people don't like to use – they don't like to manipulate their sight, but I think it's I think that's a bad habit. I mean, you can teach yourself what your holdovers are. That means how how much above or below the target you need to aim at certain distances in order to make the shot, in order to meet the round impact on the target. You can do that. I think it's fine to do that once you learn how to manipulate your sight. But I don't think you should always use that because. You need to learn how to manipulate your sights correctly to make the shot. And certainly with a scope, uh, I know there's a lot of cases of folks who never touched the dials on that scope, and eventually those dials became worthless. So I think it's good to I think it's good to manipulate your uh, mechanically manipulate your sights uh, ever so often, uh, as well as using the the knobs and dials on your scope to dial in distance. Uh, we're going to teach you how to do that. Uh, we'll teach you uh, how to determine what your natural point of aim is and how to shift that natural point of aim or the target. When you and the rifle are hooked up together, when you guys are welded up together, the rifle has a place it wants to fire. What you have to do is make sure that you are your that you and the rifle are agreeing on where you want it to, where you want to fire because uh one of the things that uh that always kind of shocked me when I first started shooting was that if you don't have the correct natural point of aim it's going to look right everything's going to look right when you're getting ready to make the shot sights are going to be exactly where they need to be everything's going to look exactly right the problem is is that you'll have muscle tension on the rifle, keeping the rifle on the target. Then when you fire and you go into recoil, when you go into that recoil, it causes movement, and that movement gets married to the tension that you're putting on the rifle, and that causes the weapon to flex. And that, uh, that affects the impact of the round down range. A human hair is 6,000th of an inch wide, one six thousand seven inch, the human hair. That human that one six thousandth of an inch uh at twenty five yards is a quarter of an inch. Okay? That's one minute. So you what we're gonna try and do is get you to eliminate uh all of the possible movement that you might be inputting into the shot. 
One of the ways to do that is to make sure that you have your natural point of aim. You've determined what it is, where it is, and then you shift it onto the target. That means when you fire, there won't be any muscle tension on your uh, on your rifle. Uh, all that's going to happen is it's going to recoil. That's going to go straight back to the rear. There won't be any movement uh, left, right, or for down. And it will also allow you to make a more, much more rapid follow-up shots because you squeeze the trigger, the rifle fires, goes into recoil, you breathe out, you breathe in. Whenever you reach your, uh, uh, your whatever your respiratory pause will be, when you reach that, your sights will, will end up back on the target, right? What you want them to be without actually having to do anything. They'll end up back on the target. All right, so that's one of the reasons that natural point of aim is important. We're going to teach you about that. And during the course of the day, we'll be doing uh, magazine changes during these evolutions. We'll be doing position changes. And we'll end up uh, with you shooting at multiple targets with magazine changes under time constraints uh, so that you can, you can get used to doing uh, several things, thinking about several things, and, and still make the shot. In addition, during the course of the day, we're going to talk to you about the a little bit of the history of the Texas War for Independence. Uh, I'm, uh, I love history, and I think history is extremely important. And I think that the that the old saying, "Those who do not know their history are doomed to repeat it," is is a very a very precise statement, uh, and and we'll actually talk about that in the history because you have people doing the same thing over and over again, and they are expecting different results, and and they're not getting them, all right. And then maybe if they had studied their history, they would understand that. Uh, if the people that did this before them and got certain results, that they could probably expect those same results. So we'll parallel the war for the uh, Texas War for Independence with the American Revolutionary War. There are a lot of parallels between the two, and we'll do this during the working lunches. Uh, so when you come, make sure you bring a sack lunch or you know or something like that, and uh, to the uh, to the praying to the Ghost of Goliad page, and uh, you can read more information about that up there. In addition to the history, throughout the course of the day, uh, myself and these other instructors will giving you, we'll be giving you like five-minute uh, introductions to self-reliance and prepping topics. We're not going to be teaching these topics there because we're going to be doing everything we can just to finish up the shooting and make sure that we get you guys as close to becoming four-minute shooters, uh, more four-minute angle shooters as possible by the end of the weekend. We want you to be able to take your rifles 10 rounds into a four-inch circle at 100 yards in 60 seconds uh, anytime that you want. That's what, what that's what it means to be a four-minute angle shooter. That means being able to take your rifle with iron sights and put 10 rounds into a human-sized silhouette at 400 yards in 60 seconds uh, and doing it consistently. 
That's what we want you to learn. That's what we want your standard of shooting to be. Four minutes, four minutes of angle. And we're going to do our best to get you there uh, on the two days, Saturday and Sunday. So we have barely enough time to uh, to get all of the fundamentals to you so that you can be be on your path for a minute of arc shooter. Nonetheless, we're still going to steal five minutes uh, four or five times during the day to introduce you to topics, uh, self-reliance product topics, because we want you to remember that you need to be thinking about this. You need to be thinking about storing food and water. You need to be thinking about uh, any of the other uh, emergency preps that you need in order to safely shepherd yourself and your loved ones through times of natural or man-made disasters. All right? Uh, So you'll get that during the course of the day as well. You're also going to meet a lot of other folks just like you here attending the uh, these Ghost of Goliad Fundamentals classes are some of the best folks you could ever meet, the nicest uh, folks. And uh, that's one of the reasons that I'm still doing this almost nine years later is because we get some amazing folks uh, that show up. And normally people will come to these classes and then they will end up becoming part of the Battle Road family. Uh, they'll they will meet us. They'll see how how our uh, how our instruction uh, how we instruct courses, and they um, they like it, and uh, they are comfortable with our teaching methods, and they end up attending uh, some of the other classes uh, that we run. And uh, speaking of the other classes, uh, on June 6th and 7th, we'll have a two-day pistol craft slash fighting handgun weekend. Now, this is set up as two individual classes, but you can take them back-to-back. And in order for you to take the fighting handgun, which is the second course, or show us uh, some type of uh, uh, paper on you taking a uh, a similar course to the Pistol craft course, which is an eight-hour introductionary course. Uh, It's like a level one course. Although uh, Mark Martinez, who teaches the pistol craft classes, uh, has been he's been attending these courses for probably twenty years now. (laughs) I don't know how many he's attended, maybe forty or fifty. Our level one class uh, will will take you all the way up to uh, what he normally experiences as an advanced class. All right, so I don't want you to think that you're going to waste your time by coming to the pistol craft to the level one course because you won't. And we've got lots of folks taking a lot of other pistol courses, and uh, they were very satisfied with the pistol craft class. Not a baby class either. And speaking of that, it's not a it's not a instructional class on how to learn how to shoot your pistol. Okay, we have what we have those. The pistol craft is not one of those classes. Whenever you show up to this class, we want you to already be well versed in the use of your handgun, including safety. We're going to go over safety and stuff in the class, 
We want you to be well-versed in the use of your handgun when you arrive, all right? This is not a uh, a class where we teach you uh, how to take the pistol out of the box and use it for the first time, okay? That's June 6th and 7th, a two-day class. Uh, on June 27th and 28th, we're going to be running another Ghost of Goliath Fundamentals class. <clears throat> the June 27th, 28th class is a ladies-only class. We're working with the uh, Girl in a Gun organization, uh, mainly the League City chapter out of uh, Houston and the local Central Texas area folks. And we are going to run those two days uh, as a uh, as a class for the for the ladies. So uh, if you are a female and you would like to attend, you do not need to be a member of any of the Girl and Gun organizations, all right? You're welcome to attend. Uh, the price is about as low as you're going to find a rifle course anywhere. It's 40 bucks for the two days. And... Uh, the uh, the stuff you'll need for the course, uh, the information stuff is listed on the website. Uh, once again, if you have any questions about it, you can contact me through the uh, the contact page on the website, or you can call me at uh, 254-217-6353, okay? <clears throat> We're going to end up having a another course in, uh, we'll have it on October 11th will be the uh, next uh, uh, zombie biathlon. And uh, and then in, in sometime in either uh, October or November, we'll be running a three-day course uh, on patrolling techniques and combat medicine. And this will be in conjunction with the uh, uh, we'll be uh, I'll be working with Caleb Causey from Lone Star Medics and John Hurts from Cure Group uh, out of Louisiana. And these guys are the top guys in their field. Caleb Causey is uh, one of the top guys uh, that's instructing now for combat medicine. And John Hurt is uh, a retired Special Forces operator who is one of the top guys in his field doing instruction in uh, small unit tactics and combat tracking. <laughs> so uh, keep checking back for those dates because it's going to be a, uh, a fantastic class. We'll also end up uh, probably in the spring running a five-day combat tracking course with uh, John Hurt and Tier Group. And this is going to teach you how to track into a hostile environment as part of a larger group. Uh, you'll be learning tracking techniques, but but more than that, you'll be learning how to protect yourself and protect uh, when you are tracking into uh, a potentially hostile situation as part of a larger group because uh, that's one of the problems with tracking is it's very easy to track yourself head down into a bad situation, into an ambush or something like that. 
So we'll be working on how to how to work as a member of a team and how that you can protect your tracker and still move uh, rapidly. Uh, things that you will do uh, in the event of contact with your quarry, uh, contact with an armed quarry, uh, how to fight through the situation, or how to uh, 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 how you can react to contact and uh, withdraw if need be, covering all of that stuff. This will probably will do the first five-day course in the spring, and uh, we'll do the second part, the 10-day course, but we split it up into two five-day chunks so that uh, we can get it we can get it through because a lot of folks can't take off two days in a row. <clears throat> would, it, would that you could live a life of, uh, of training? I think that would be a, a pretty neat life uh, of just uh, going from place to place, training, keeping your skills current, uh, being able to work with uh, a lot of good guys, and then uh, using those skills in real-life situations uh, when it was needed. <clears throat> we'll be doing that in the spring, and then probably in the fall we'll be running the second five days. For more information, you can go to uh, battleroadusa.com. And uh, and once again, if you have any questions, you can uh, contact me through the website and uh, and also by phone. Okay, uh, there's been uh, there's been quite a few uh, quite a few instances recently uh, where uh, where the government uh, where where there has been some type of situation and then the reaction by the government. When I say government, uh, that, that encompasses your local uh, county and city government, the state government, and the federal government. It can be uh, any uh, one or all of them uh, working together. Because depending on the situation, that's how it works. Uh, in a city, then you'll certainly be ha- you'll certainly have the the city government responding to it. The police. Uh, all of the uh, uh, the municipal authorities, uh, firefighters, things like that. The uh, city's uh, emergency management team. The same thing is uh, if you're out in the county somewhere, but if you're not directly in a city, if you're in a suburb, or if you're out uh, in the boonies in the county, then the county uh, authorities will be uh, responding to the situation. And if it's uh, certainly big enough, then the response would probably be met uh, by representatives of the federal government. This could be anybody from uh, from FEMA, from the Federal Emergency Management Team, to uh, to FBI, to uh, eventually to uh, uh, troops. Uh, National Guard or even uh, federalized guards uh, that were working <coughs> to uh, to meet whatever situation was occurring, and we've had several events uh, recently that uh, where this has happened. I don't know that it needed to, 
but it seems as if it has. We haven't had events uh, on the city level, the county level. Uh, there were some just recently that I read about where <laughs> there was a burglary of a home. I believe the homeowner came home and found someone burglarizing the home and contacted the authority who gave chase. I believe there was a, a, a chase. I don't know. I, I didn't read if there were shots fired or not, but apparently the suspect was a dangerous suspect according to them. They ran his car into, uh, crashed the car into a house and then escaped on foot. The police department responded with a reverse 911 call asking the residents, all residents, to shelter in place, which was, in effect, a curfew. And, uh, you know, telling everybody to stay inside their homes, lock the doors, don't venture out, and, uh, you know, to be on the lookout for this this suspect. And uh, that, I can certainly see uh, that, uh, in certain situations. Now, I don't know if they had the ability to make the reverse 911 calls, uh, make them a localized thing where they were calling all the people in a certain area. Maybe they could. I don't know. Uh, I can certainly see that. But call went out uh, like on a countywide thing. Uh, to me, that's, that's a little bit, uh, it's actually a lot of an overreaction. Now, we saw the same thing in in the Boston bombing. The, the city was virtually shut down, and the people were told to stay in their homes. There was a curf- uh, curfew imposed. It was, uh, it was a really pretty severe thing. And let's, Let's talk about this because what is going to happen in an event like this is that somebody is going to declare a state of emergency, and uh, and that could be your your city, county, uh, state, or or federal government to declare uh, some type of state of emergency. Now, a government can declare that uh, that a country state of emergency, and this means that, that that government can then suspend or or change some functions of the executive, legislative, and, and or the judiciary during that period of time, and uh, what it does is it lets, it tells the citizens that they're going to have to alter their behavior, they're going to be operating under a new set of guidelines than what they normally work under. And uh, and this is something that, that governments certainly have been known to do during uh, times of natural or man-made disasters, during uh, events of uh, localized or, or general uh, civil unrest. Uh, they can do it uh after a declaration of war uh or uh or or in a lot of other cases right uh 
it can also be used as rationale or uh, or a pretext defending the rights and freedoms guaranteed under a country's constitution. And that's the part that bothers a lot of folks the most. Uh, if if the government wants to suspend your rights, they want to say, okay, uh, you no longer have the rights that you had when you were living under the Constitution of the United States of America because what we've done now is we've declared a state of emergency. Or of emergency. And that has altered, uh, altered the rules that we're all going to play by now. And uh, and the emergency, uh, the state of emergency, uh, does uh, and can certainly override uh, non-derogatory rights during an imposition of a state of emergency. Uh, now, some there are folks who say that that non uh, derogable rights cannot be suspended that you can't that they can't be made null and void or 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 not acted under but but we've seen this happen, and we've certainly seen people completely ignore that and make make the rules uh what they want them to be <clears throat> uh, now some there are countries who've made it illegal to modify emergency law or to modify a constitution during the uh, state of emergency. And other, there are other countries uh, who, uh, whose situation is vastly different. They, they have the freedom to change any legislation or rights uh, based on the constitutional frameworks at any time that the legislature chooses to do so. You've got to remember that constitutions Constitutions are a contract between the government and the private individuals of that country. Uh, so, uh, so you're living under a contract. Even right now, you are. You're living under a contract that has been made uh, by citizens with the government uh, a couple hundred years ago. Although we we certainly have been modifying it over the years and continue to do so today. Uh, the you're you're living under a contract with the government. Now uh, the the state of emergency when it's declared and and there's actually a an international agreement on the use of a state of emergency. Now that's not to say that there's any way for the international community to 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 back up or enforce any of these rules, but there is a, a an agreement, an international agreement, uh called the International Covenant for Civil and Political Rights that that kind of outlines how states of emergency can be declared and what they can what can be done during them, stuff like that. Uh the uh, the ICCPR, which is the International Covenant for Civil and Political Rights, uh, states that that a state of emergency must be publicly declared, declared the reason 
for the emergency, the date on which the emergency is supposed to start, and the derogations that may take place under the state emergency, uh, with the time frame of the emergency and the date in which the emergency is expected to finish, right? Uh, so, so there are supposed to be some rules to it, but I can I can tell you right now <clears throat> that if you are depending on America to uh, to adhere to any international rules, I think you should get that out of your head right away. I think we've proved time and time again that although we are ready to make everybody sit down at the table and sign an agreement, that we are almost absolutely the first group of folks that is ready to uh, ignore the agreement and tell everybody else that complains about it to go to hell. Uh, So I think that, uh, like I said, I think that if you are, if you're expecting uh, a state of emergency to follow any type of international thing, forget it. Uh, And they've all been different. And, and there are uh, there are plenty of plenty of times that seas uh, have been abused, and it, it's almost a it, it almost goes without saying that that if there is a state emergency uh, enacted, that it's going to get that a lot of folks are going to get rough treatment. Uh, back in 1970, uh, there was the state of emergency declared in Canada. I don't know if you remember this, but the the uh, the movement for independence by the French there in Quebec. Uh, they they had been uh, they had been working politically, but also with the with a violent side uh, for quite a while there prior to 1970, uh, including uh, about 100 cases of bombings and stuff like that. And now, they were certainly, uh, I don't think, on, on a level with, like, the IRA or, or Baghdad or anything like that, but uh, but they did uh, detonate about 100 bombs, uh, mostly, though they were just blowing up mailboxes in affluent neighborhoods, uh, but they ended up uh, blowing up the stock exchange, and they ended up hurting a whole bunch of folks, and uh, eventually murdered some people. And the government declared a state of emergency. Now, during that state of emergency, there was about 700 folks for different reasons, and uh, all but uh, about 60 of them were eventually released because they were they were what what they were arrested. Uh, and it turned out that they shouldn't have been. And what I'm trying to get to is that uh, when there is a state of emergency declared, and especially if that state of emergency uh, runs in, conju- in conjunction with martial law, then, then you lose almost <clears throat> once martial law is imposed. And, you know, that's been done in... Uh, that's been done quite a few times by us, not here in the United States. But we certainly used it uh, after, uh, like in after World War II, martial law in uh, Japan and Germany. But if it were enacted here, then you would lose a great deal of your rights. You'd lose, 
uh, everything up to and including the your rights of habeas corpus, uh, your uh, your right your right to any type of a trial under the uh, the normal judiciary system, you'd end up being subject to the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Pose uh, anything up to and including uh, death by firing squad and uh, and military justice, military tribunal justice is pretty freaking swift and uh, and <clears throat> and as I said, without any right to habeas corpus, that means that you can be detained and arrested in prison without any recourse. Uh, without any way to to ask for uh for a show cause or a review of your uh detainment. I mean they're just gonna hold you and, and they're not gonna be required uh to review your case while you're being held or anything else. Uh so it's a very uh it's a very sticky situation once that happens. Now, we I was talking earlier about the the Boston bombing or the the Boston Marathon bombing. This is a case of two guys who set off uh, some bombs there, and I got to tell you, I really don't know. Uh, there is so much information uh, and a lot of it conflicting about this. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you about the the guilt or innocence of anybody involved in that. All right, but we're not going to talk about that because that's that's really immaterial to the uh, the topic tonight. Whether whoever did whatever they said they did doesn't matter. What matters is how the authorities are going to react to it and what what that is going to be during the height of the. The the government's reaction to the Boston bombing, uh, Boston Marathon bombing, <laughs> and let's take our once again. I'm talking about the combined city, county, state, and federal government because they were all involved uh, in this. There were over nine thousand uh, law enforcement officers, uh, including troops and stuff that were deployed for this event, including armored vehicles, even even tanks and stuff brought up to run the uh the door to door searches, the uh checkpoints to maintain the curfew that had been imposed and that that number is uh is the equivalent of the rotational forces in Baghdad, okay? Why we needed the same number of uh, of law enforcement of uh, to deal with 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 this event as we need to deal with a city with thousands of folks under arms and and or I don't I don't know I don't understand that. Uh, but that's what it was. So what does that mean to you? In your location, there's something equivalent to that were to happen. There are certain things you could expect. 
uh, if it was a situation that were equal to something like the Boston Marathon bomb, you could expect at least a local state of emergency being declared. That means they're going to uh, that a lot of your rights uh, are going to be uh, abrogated, and you're going to be operating under a new set of rights. And how legal that is, uh, I'm 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 not sure. There's still people that are questioning the legality of the things that were done during the Boston Marathon bombing. Uh, you had uh, all of the uh, uh, the all of the uh, city travel uh, had been. Uh, stopped. There were even uh, 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 limits put on the, uh, uh, like on taxis and stuff like that. Uh, there were uh, uh, there was a curfew uh, set up. There was uh, there were uh, police uh, and. Uh, uh, and other uh, law enforcement officers that were going uh, house to house doing searches, and uh, and this wasn't uh, they weren't there were no warrants involved, and uh, I don't know I don't know how many folks ended up uh, ended up being. Uh, arrested or uh, or or having something happen where <laughs> when the uh, I don't know how many folks that happened to uh, I'd like to I'd like to uh, I'd like to 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 do some more research and find out what happened but uh, the uh, uh, Early on April 19th, there in Boston, uh, the Watertown residents received reverse 911 calls telling them to stay indoors. Uh, the uh, uh, on, in that morning, the following morning on April 19th, the governor of the state, uh, Governor Patrick. Uh, made an announcement which asked all the residents of Watertown and the adjacent cities in town. This includes uh, uh, Alston, Brighton, Boston, Belmont, Brookline, Cambridge, Newton, Waltham, uh, Somerville, uh, all of them to shelter in place. And basically, sheltering in place means, just like I said earlier, means that the, the police, the authorities want you to go inside your home, stay inside your home, lock the doors, no traveling, no uh, no nothing. Stay inside your house with your doors locked. <clears throat> uh, the uh, the Boston taxi service was suspended. Uh, the Amtrak service, which to and from Boston, you know, in and out of the city, was suspended. Uh, now the the airport did remain open, but it was uh, really amped up security. Uh, 
uh, all of the universities, all the schools, the businesses, uh, all of the other facilities, uh, all the other public facilities and stuff like that were all closed. Uh, and law enforcement began a a previously it was an unprecedented door to door manhunt uh, this is uh this is it's something that uh, you certainly would never have expected but that's what happened and uh this is uh this is something uh this is something that could really affect you and your family because uh it doesn't have to be a one day thing like depending on what the how the event unfolds uh it could be the beginning of a of a much longer uh than one day thing so what you would need to do is think about this the same way that you would uh something like uh, preparing for a uh like a blizzard or a, you know an ice storm or something like that. You would want to make sure that uh, that you had plenty of uh, food and water uh, stored up because uh, it would be unlikely that any of the uh, uh, any of the services provided by the municipalities, anything anything like uh, the public utilities, would be affected. But they could well be. For whatever reason, they could well be affected. Or uh, if you want to push it into the dark side, you could certainly say that uh, the government could use uh, some event uh, like this as a pretext for shutting down or shutting off the uh, public utilities for whatever reason. They thought that... uh, that somebody had poisoned the water or something like that, or if they just wanted to tell you that, then they could certainly shut off water. They could, there could either be an actual attack on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, electrical facilities, or they could tell you that there was an attack on the facilities, or they may want to, uh, shut off the power for some other reason. Anyway, you need to think about this in a fashion that, uh, that it would be no different than a natural uh, type of disaster, like an ice storm or a snowstorm. It was going to cut off your water and your power, uh, your energy, so that you would need to be able to provide those things for yourself uh, or to deal with uh, if it's wintertime, you need to make sure that you have some other way of uh, of heating your, your home or uh, that you have water stored up, that you have food stored up to deal with this. They're going to ask you not to travel. And here's the problem with this, is that when people get, when they start putting up roadblocks and they start 
either looking for, for bad guys or responding to some type of uh, violence, terroristic violence or stuff like that. People get, people get awfully, uh, uh, and military, they call it nervous in the service. Uh, so the less you move around, the better, because uh, they're going to be looking for people that are moving around. Uh, you could either end up in a situation where you are uh, you're an innocent bystander caught in, the, in some type of crossfire with the bad guys, uh, but uh, you could also be mistaken for a bad guy, or you could be uh, detained for whatever reason. So in order to, to keep yourself from getting detained, because you don't want to be detained in any of these situations, and the best way for you to get detained is for to to be out in public where you can where you become subject to any of the uh governmental authorities investigating on uh, this event so you want to try to make sure that you are not that you're not having to leave your home all right you can stay in your home and you're just like the uh than the dozens, hundreds, thousands, millions of others. Uh, and the only way that you're going to have interaction is uh, if and when they institute some type of uh, of search for, for whoever. And they may or may not do that. But that would be the only way that you would have to have any, any interaction with the authority. So you want to try and limit your interaction uh, as much as possible. Don't put yourself in a position where you have to go through a roadblock or where you have to be questioned or detained. All right? The best way to do that is not to be out in it. All right? That means you need to have enough stuff in your home sure that you can weather this event at least for... Uh, I, everybody has a... Everybody... We've done the shows on this before on, on separate lines of prepping. And everybody has to determine their own level of prep that they're comfortable with. If you're if you're fine with one day of food in your house, then by gosh, good for you. All right? Uh, if you're not, then you need to do something about it. If, uh, if you're comfortable with having just one week of food and water, okay, good for you as long as it doesn't go on past a week. I would think that a minimum, a good minimum, would be 30 days, all right? Uh, I think a good minimum would be 30 days. That would give you a a four-week buffer so that uh, it would give you a full 30 days to try and figure out what else you're going to do and how you're going to get past this. That's certainly enough time to start... uh, (laughs) To start uh, sprouting sprouts, uh, I don't know that you could get much more to grow in 30 days other than something like radishes, but uh, you could certainly have stuff planted uh, by then and if you start on day one. And you could certainly be uh, eating uh, sprouts uh, on a regular basis as long as you have the seeds to do so. Uh, but 30 days would be a good uh a good target to shoot for. 
if you were able to stay in your home without uh, having to leave for 30 days, uh, there's a good chance that uh, that you could get past this thing uh, without having to have any interaction with uh, anyone else. Because, like I said, you don't. I don't care how innocent you are. It doesn't matter when you get detained. Uh, jails, prisons, detention camps are really, really ugly places. And and if you want to talk about uh, your your risk of bodily injury or death uh, skyrocketing, and that's where it's going to happen. All right. So make sure that you can you have enough supplies to hunker down inside your home for those thirty days. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that at some point, point uh, there would be something, some way, some form of travel instituted. But like I said, well, even if it is, it's going to mean that you have to be out in public dealing with law enforcement authorities. You're going to be going through uh, through checkpoints and roadblocks, and uh, you're going to be uh, you're going to be forced to produce identification uh, over and over, and this is this is not something that you're going to want to do. I would also uh, I would also think about things such as uh, the minute that somebody declares a state of emergency, there's a good chance that it could be followed with an order for something like the door-to-door searches. Okay? So what does that mean? That means that there's a good chance that your home could be entered uh, without your permission, without warrant, and they could search and rifle through your belongings. And that means that uh, you better make sure during this time period that you're not doing anything in possession of anything that you would not be willing to invite the authorities in uh, to peruse, okay? <clears throat> I think that uh, I would make sure that uh, that while I had uh, while I had firearms that I had access to for home defense situations. I think I would try and do as much as possible to to fix it so that uh, that during a casual search, which a lot of these things are, a lot of the a lot of times if they're if they are doing like what they did in Boston, if they're looking for a person, you know that a person can only. Uh, 
can the person is fairly easily visible. The person isn't going to be uh, inside a wall or, or you know or something else. I, I think I would try and make sure that uh, that as much of uh, as much of the stuff uh, extra firearms, extra food, stuff like that, as much of it as I could. I would try to have it in some way uh, stored in some fashion that a casual search of a home for a person would not discover it. I'm not. I'm not advocating uh, that you break any laws, okay? Because that in itself would be illegal. So I'm not advocating that you break any laws. What all I'm saying is that. Uh, you should do things so that so that your daily your daily business and your possession of completely legal items does not uh, cause you more grief or cause you uh, the, so that you do not incur uh, any additional problems from that. I can tell you right now that. Uh, that a lot of the folks that I know uh, that are they're completely law-abiding folks. Uh, as a matter of fact, everybody I know is completely law-abiding folks. Uh, that the authorities came to their homes and started searching. I'm sure that they might uh, become suspicious or ask them questions if they went to. So my friends' homes, and they opened up their their gun room or their gun closet. They found twenty five, thirty rifles, and uh, and you know fifteen, twenty thousand rounds of ammunition. That uh, I don't know. They may take them. I heard that they that they had taken firearms during the Boston event, and uh, I don't know. I was trying to do some research a little bit earlier today about that to find out if they had indeed done so. What I heard is they were doing it under the pretext of saying that, look, we're taking these firearms and you'll get them back, but we're taking them because we don't want these suspects to break into your home and then use these guns against you or the authority. My question then would be, what now what are those people going to use to defend themselves if, in fact, these suspects did try and uh, illegally enter their homes? Uh, if you have any, if anyone has any uh, information on that, on what that did occur, then uh, give us a call at three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero because I'd like to hear if that if that did in fact happen. Regardless, <clears throat> if you've got a big stack of uh, black rifles and uh, twenty or thirty steel ammo cans and stuff like that and uh and you have your favorite uh uh custom made buoy knives and everything else hanging up there on your gun wall which you should it's perfectly legal to do so uh you're going to put yourself in a position where you could uh you could bring suspicion on yourself or uh, those items could be confiscated either temporarily or permanently by law enforcement. You don't want to. You don't want either of those things to happen. So if you can figure out some way 
some way to keep them as much kind of bad as possible, that would probably be good. Although I'm sure some people will say, look, wouldn't it look even worse if I'm if I'm hiding them? Wouldn't it look like then that I'm that I am doing something wrong hiding them? Uh, I don't know. My answer to that would be if they said, look, why are this? Why is all these these rifles stuffed in your mattress? I'd say because because I don't want you guys coming in here and getting the wrong idea and taking all my stuff. That's why. Because I don't trust you. I trust myself perfectly fine, but I don't trust you. That would be my answer, and then they would either take them or they wouldn't. But uh, I would try and make sure, to, if I could, that a casual inspection of the home would not uh, would not draw any attention. I would certainly make sure that uh, if you had any humorous posters or anything, uh, or if you had anything uh, that was in the least bit uh, on any of the Homeland Security warnings and watch lists, uh, like if you had a poster in your gun room that said, uh, I believe in the Constitution and I'll I'll die fighting to defend it, I think I'd go ahead and, and wrap those up, and take them down, wrap them up real nice, you know, protect them, and store them away for a while. But I don't want anybody coming through the house and and going through their Homeland Security checklist and saying, okay, Poster about the Constitution. That's uh, that's good for two points. Uh, rifles and extra ammunition. That's good for three hundred points. The five hundred point mark. We're going to go ahead and detain these people. Uh, I would try and do everything I could to blend in and be uh, be what Homeland Security considers as a good American Joe. All right. That means that you can't really be a good American Joe. You're going to have to be something else during this time period. A real American would fly the flag. A real American would have a copy of the Constitution up on the wall. A real American would say, I believe in the Constitution, and I will die fighting to defend it. That's right. That's what real Americans do. That's what they say. And it's just the thing to get you uh, right up close to the 500-point mark when Homeland Security comes calling. So make sure that you're doing everything you can to take off all of the rough edges, all right, to put your put yourself back down into uh, the, the, the regular average American as Homeland Security sees them category. I can't, I'm not going to be able, I'm not going to tell you how to do that. I'm just going to tell you that that, is probably what you should do. I would make sure that uh, that during this time period, I was also uh, doing my best to make sure that my vehicle was pre-packed with everything that I needed uh, if I needed to leave rapidly. Make sure that I had uh, already had food and water in the vehicle. Uh, that I had, uh, you know, uh, most of the stuff that I would need if I needed to go somewhere, that it was there, ready to go. There may be some temporary lifting of uh, travel restrictions, or there may be uh, an end to it, an end to the restrictions. And you may decide that, look, 
uh, they've lifted the travel restrictions, and they say that it's over. Uh, but, hey, just uh, – and, you know, I really want to believe them. But just for good measure, I'm going to load everything up, and I'm going to head out uh, – I'm going to head out to my friend's place uh, one state over for a while until everything calms down. That may be something you want to think about doing. And if, and if you have that ability, <clears throat> then you need to to pre-plan and pre-prepare for it, okay? So that if they do relax traveling restrictions, that uh, that you can take advantage of it and get out of it. Uh, so uh, to uh, I'm not sure what you're saying, Sam. Uh, come on and come come tell me what you're talking about. Say Cormachu. Uh, back when you were talking about uh, people being detained during a state of emergency, we had that happen here once before in America. And uh, a fellow named Coramatsu oh, took it to court. And uh, to be quite truthful, it was wrong. And uh, a lot of our current Supreme Court justices, most notably Scalia, uh, made a point of saying, you know, Korematsu was a wrong decision. Uh, we shouldn't uh, shouldn't lock those uh, people away. He also said, don't be surprised if it happens again. It will happen again. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I truly believe it will happen again. On what scale, I have no idea. But we did see, we have seen it every time it has happened, no matter what country it's been in. Uh, we have seen that every single time a state of emergency has been declared and martial law has been imposed, that it has been abused. There is simply there is simply no way around it. It's going to be abused, and there's going to be people that are going to get hurt from it. So that's something that you can certainly uh, look to, look forward to, uh, and and I believe that uh, Scalia was right, and I certainly believe that Cromartie was right, and I believe that it was a horribly shameful thing we did. Now, I wasn't alive then, and I can understand some of their thoughts on it, but it was certainly wrong. And now looking back on it, everybody says, or most everybody says, hey, that was wrong. But you know what they said then? Nothing. They said nothing then, and they allowed it to happen. What that means is that... Uh, and you certainly, we've certainly seen this happen over and over again throughout history. And that is, wrong decisions have been made plenty of times. And afterwards, people will say, that was wrong. We, we shouldn't have done that. But that does not stop it from happening. And it's not going to stop it from happening here in the United States again. It's going to happen. I certainly agree with Sam. I think Thank it's going to happen again. That was not the only time it happened in America either. Uh, big failure on the part of our history classes. But uh, during the Civil War, uh, President Lincoln had uh, elected legislators, senators, uh, from states that were not part of the South, locked up and held incommunicado because they were opposed to his policies. Right. 
uh, newspaper editors, senators, representatives, uh, just outspoken citizens who were of influence were locked away uh, sometimes in jails and sometimes in what passed for a mental institution at the time uh, to keep them out of circulation. Right, and you're right. That, a lot of that is criticism. not taught. A lot of that is not taught. It's not taught that that the that the Civil War, that during the Civil War, that federal government acted illegally in in a huge number of instances. Uh, and in some cases, you could certainly say they acted criminally. But uh, but I'm sure that they felt, uh, and it's certainly a great example. Of the winners write the history books, and uh, the end justifies the means. But I'm just telling you that uh, I'm telling the folks listening that that you can't say that stuff like this could never happen here in America because it has happened. Uh, it happens on a regular basis throughout the world. There is. Uh, uh, somewhere, uh, somebody uh, is dealing with the uh, with this uh, right now. Uh, there is uh, there is. I'm looking at the uh, at this fact sheet. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna we'll talk about this in just a couple of seconds here. Uh, <clears throat> there is uh, uh, there are cases uh, of countries in and these are developed nations. This isn't third world countries that uh, declare states of mercy and martial law uh, on a uh, on a regular basis. Somewhere this is happening around the world right now, and there is nothing to say that it couldn't happen in America. You know, I, I I get a lot of criticism from folks whenever I talk about Germany in World War II, but we're talking about Germany and in America in World War II. We certainly had the uh, the detainment of the Asian American, the Japanese American citizens, which was completely illegal. And then we had the the citizens of Germany, which was the most cultured uh, country in Europe at the time, uh, they were by no means any type of a backward nation. Uh, it was filled up with uh, with uh, with uh, science and culture, and and yet the circumstances allowed the the nation to become ruled by a by one individual uh, who set them on a course of destruction and it is not uh, beyond uh, it's not beyond happening anywhere it can certainly happen anywhere and it has already happened in a lot of places. Uh, so, 
I don't want. I'm not trying to be a uh, uh, having. I'm not trying to push any type of uh, uh, of scare. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that just because uh, America seems to be uh, a very modern place and we have all of these laws that protect us, the the whole point of state emergency and martial law is that it eliminates a good deal of those protections. So, uh, so that's the problem with uh, state emergency martial law. And I want uh, folks to understand that uh, that in the event that something like that happens, it's not going to be a whole lot different than uh, than some type of a natural disaster, although a natural disaster, what can be, it can be just as dangerous, if not more, but a natural disaster, you're going to have a bunch of guns come to your house and search you. Uh, all right. Uh, if you have any, uh, any questions or comments, uh, about the show, please feel free to, uh, to send them to me. And uh, you can do that. Uh, we've got a Facebook page. If you if you guys are on Facebook, go be sure and go to uh, Battle Road Radio and hit the like button. And uh, and you can post on the page about uh, about any of the topics that we've covered. And you can also uh, uh, make suggestions for uh, show subjects or for uh, for guests because the show is here to serve you. And uh, that's what we want to do. So if you have any uh, anybody that you would like to see on the show, then we'd be glad to uh, see about getting that. If there's any particular subjects that you would like covered, and they can range from anything in history to rifle marksmanship to uh, prepping, self-reliance, uh, you name it, gardening, anything like that, then we will certainly be glad to uh, address those uh, topics in one of the shows. Uh, just go to the Facebook page for Battle Road Radio. Uh, or you can go to my Facebook page, Michael Adam, and uh, and contact me through either one of those. All right? Be sure and look at the BattleRoadUSA.com uh, website for the upcoming classes. Uh, like I was telling you earlier, that uh, the, the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship classes or classes that that really you should be taking uh, uh, a couple of times a year. I mean, they're they're that important to your rifle marksmanship skills. And the classes are relevant uh, to everybody from the guy who pulls up on Saturday and says, "Hey, Scout, I just bought a rifle in the back of my in my trunk. Just got it in Walmart. It's in the box. I've never fired a rifle before." Can you help me get out, get it set up, uh, put me on the road to becoming a four-minute of arc shooter? Absolutely, I can. Absolutely, we'll do that. Uh, all the way to the guy at the other side of the parking lot who says, hey, <clears throat> I'm getting ready to deploy, uh, but before I deploy, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna be taking the designated marksman class and the, uh, uh, can you help me out here today with this course? Absolutely, it will. The fundamentals are going to be the rock 
that you build your rifle marksmanship skills on. All right, without them, you're going to, without having a rock solid foundation, it's going to be very, very hard uh, to to build the skills and maintain them like you would like to. And uh, we can help anybody, and we've become really, really good at helping folks who have never fired a, a rifle before. Uh, some guys, uh, lots of girls, uh, lots of kids. That's one of the things that we really specialize in is brand new shooters. And uh, and even if you have been shooting for your whole life, course is still a course for you. I tell you, after doing this almost a decade and teaching thousands and thousands of shooters, I can I can tell you one thing I've learned is that everybody thinks they shoot better than they do. Uh, there's there's probably uh, like a point oh one percent of folks that actually shoot as well as they think. Uh, the rest of the folks they think that they can hit the ace of spades nailed up on the barn door at uh, three hundred yards. But what I find is they have a very difficult time getting one out of ten shots into a human-sized silhouette at 100 yards. There's a wide spread in between those two uh, in between those two realities. So, if you want to maintain, build and maintain your rifle marksmanship skills, be sure and come out to one of the Ghost of Goliath classes that we're running. Uh, it's also going to be the least expensive class that uh, you'll probably go to at 80 bucks for the guys, 40 for the girls, and 20 for the kids. We made it as affordable as we can. And uh, and one of the reasons that we've, we've got the scale and stuff is because we want, we want the guys to come, but we wanted to bring their families along too. And... And you get a really great deal on this because you're you're getting a we're cutting you a deal on their admission and not only that here's the best part <clears throat> we're taking all the responsibility for teaching them out of your hand right so you don't have to do anything except shoot that's all you have to do you don't have to worry about your wife or your kids about uh, teaching them to shoot we're gonna do that for you that means. That you don't have to sit there and say, no, 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 you you got to do it like this. And you don't have to hear your wife say, shut up, right? We'll uh, we'll make it easy on you, and we'll take care of teaching uh, your wife and your kids and you at the same time. All right. All right. We'll be here again uh, next Thursday night, 7:30 p.m. Central. Uh, until then, uh, stay safe, stay sharp, keep shooting, and I ask that uh, that God keep us and protect us and guide our hands in this because our cause is just. We'll see you guys uh, next Thursday. All right. Yeah.